a singer called Steve Green wrote about getting to know some of the, the riggers who worked in the large auditoriums where his concerts were held. These riggers work on 10 centimetre wide rafters, often 30 metres off the ground, to hang speakers and spotlights for the concerts, a job that I would never be able to do at all, if you know what I am like with heights. But this is what he wrote. The guys I talked to weren't bothered by the sight of looking down 100 feet. What they didn't like, they said, were jobs in buildings that had false ceilings. Acoustical tiles slung just a couple of feet below the rafters. They were still high up in the air, and if they slipped, the weight would smash right through the flimsy tile. But their minds seemed to play tricks on them, lulling them into carelessness. Get the idea? They were still really high, it was still a really dangerous job, but when they looked down they couldn't see the danger. And so they could be careless. And that could be deadly. And I think that we're like that in our Christian lives. When we can see the dangers, when we can feel under threat, we're careful. And we seek to draw on all of God's resources in those times of difficulty. But when the danger is not so obvious, when we feel a little bit more comfortable, then we're at risk, a greater risk of slipping. That was certainly the case with David. As I've seen over the past few months, he overcame many giants in his life. In the middle of a battle, he faced uh, Goliath, that terrifying giant of a soldier, with courage and faith. In a hostile place, he faced a giant of jealousy with humility. In fear of his life, he faced the giant of despair with complete dependence on God. In a, in a cave, he faced the giant of revenge with patience and submission to God's will. And so 1, King, 1 Kings chapter 15, 5 says that David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. But tragically, that's not the whole story. Despite all, overcoming all of these dangerous situations, it was actually when he was most comfortable, when he was most at ease, that David was defeated. That verse, 1, King, 1 Kings 15 and 5, continues, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. David, <coughs> excuse me, David the man after God's own heart, he faced the giant of temptation and he crumpled. So we're going to read from 2 Kings chapter 11 and Joan's going to come up and she's going to read to us. Yeah? <laughs> Enthusiastically, she's going to read to us. Uh, she's going to read Second Kings chapter eleven, verse one to seven. To Second Samuel, sorry, chapter eleven, verse eleven, verse one to seventeen, and then verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. So Second Samuel chapter eleven. Thank you, John.
Hello, everybody. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a beautiful, a beautiful bathing. Hmm. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the master servants and did not go down to his house. (coughs) David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, Haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Job and sent it to Uriah. In it he wrote, Put your eye out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Job had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought with Job, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah and Hittite, moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. And then verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of the mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Thank you very much. John, we're reading uh, this morning. 
This was a really horrible episode of David's life. But it's not recorded here so that we can feel smug and we can condemn him. You know, we can just look down on David and think, what a terrible guy he was. Rather, it's so that we can see ourselves in David and we can learn from him. So we can see how we can overcome the giant of temptation in our lives. So how, what, can we, what can we learn from David in this situation? Well, the first thing I think is that we need to be conscious of the battle. David sent the army into battle under the leadership of his commander Joab. But it says in verse 1, but David remained in Jerusalem. David was the king. He was God's chosen leader. His job was to fight for the people. But maybe he thought he deserved a rest. Maybe he was tired of the responsibility. Maybe he wanted to be pampered for a while. Have a little me time. Whatever the reason, he thought that he could avoid the battle. And although he did manage to avoid the battle with the Ammonites, what he couldn't do, he couldn't avoid the battle with his own selfish and sinful desires. So when he saw Bathsheba that night, he wasn't ready to say no to what he wanted to do. Instead, he gave in to those selfish desires. And he allowed them to dominate his decisions. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was so different from David in this situation. When David ordered him to come back from the battle in an attempt to cover up his sin, Uriah refused to go home. And when David asked him why, this is how he, what he said, verse 11. The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? Uriah, he knew all too well that there was a battle going on. He knew that this was not the time to indulge his own desires. And if we are going to overcome temptation in our lives, then we need to be like Uriah and not like David. If like David we allow our own selfish nature to direct our actions, if we just do what we want to do, what we feel like doing, when we feel like it, then we're always going to be dragged into sin. This is what James says. James chapter 1. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we must not live to please ourselves. Just to do what we want. Our hearts will always lead us in the wrong direction. 
and said, Jesus said this, if anyone was, would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We need to say no to what we feel like doing. This is how we live the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Because this is how he lived. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet was without sin. And that's because unlike David, Jesus did not come to serve himself. Instead, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we are going to follow Jesus, if we are going to live the life that God has planned for us, then we need to be willing, like Jesus, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and to follow him. But this battle that we need to be conscious of is not just a battle with ourselves. It's not just a battle against our own selfish desires, what we want to do. Because of course, Jesus had no sinful nature. But he was still tempted. And that's because temptation also has an external source. Matthew 4 and 1 says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And David faced that battle too. Yes, he could run away from the battle against the Ammonites. But he couldn't avoid this battle against Satan. And folks, neither can we. Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This battle is always going on. Even although sometimes it's maybe not so obvious. Eric, could you just switch off the the heating and then switch it back on again? Because it's actually blowing cold air, so some of the people are going to get frozen at the back. Keep you awake, that'll be a good thing, but I don't want to get you a chill. Get you a chill. And if you're afraid, afraid of spiders, don't look at the screen right now, okay? Alright? I'll not mention anybody's name like Neve, but not to look at the, the spider, okay? This spider is called a Porsche spider. Okay, I'll tell you when it's safe to look up again. Uh, you might actually like this spider, even if you don't like spiders, because it actually feeds on other spiders. So it reduces the number of spiders in the world. But it attacks them in a variety of different ways. It looks like a, a piece of, of a dead leaf caught in a web. And so it kind of camouflages itself. It looks harmless to the whole spider until it just strikes it. And then sometimes it crawls onto a, a web and it, and it mimics the vibrations of a trapped insect. And then other times it, it crawls onto that web and it mimics the vibrations of, of, the, of a courtship signal of a spider. In fact, it has been observed 
to patiently try out a variety of different signals, one after the other after the other, until it eventually finds the one that deceives its victim and brings it into striking range. So like that spider, Satan uses many different strategies to attack us. Now you can look up again. Sometimes he comes against us in a full frontal attack, like a a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Other times, he comes in deceptively as he masquerades as an angel of light. Sometimes he attacks us when we feel weak and vulnerable, when things are just getting us down. Other times he attacks us most fiercely when we have had success and we feel victorious and things are going well. And that's why Peter says to us in 1 Peter 5 and 8, always be self-controlled and alert. Always be self-controlled and alert. We always need to be ready for this battle. We don't get holidays from it. He doesn't take a bank holiday off and doesn't attack us until we're back to work on Tuesday. We don't get those holidays like David tried to get. So we only have one choice here. We can either face this battle with the enemy of our souls in a prepared way or an unprepared way. We can either be ready for this battle or we can be not ready for this battle. Because this battle is, is, is happening all the time. So Paul encourages us to put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If we want to overcome each day of our lives, then we need to be conscious that we're in the middle of a battle against ourselves and against Satan. So we need to be denying ourselves and we need to be putting on the armour of God. Secondly, however, we also need to consider the consequences. A number of years ago, a small-time criminal got more than he bargained for when he mugged a little old lady in New York City. He'd snatched her purse thinking that she was an easy prey. But when the police later arrested him and drove him to the police station, they told him the news that he'd just robbed the mother of the largest mafia family in New York. The police lieutenant later said this, when the criminal heard that, he just slumped down in the back seat of the car. He had a sort of stunned, resigned look in his face, sort of saying, how could I be so stupid? Whenever we sin, we always get ourselves into more problems than we bargain for. All David wanted was a one night stand with a beautiful woman. But look what he got. A marriage was destroyed. A son was conceived. A good man was murdered. A number of other of his own soldiers also lost their lives. And as we'll see next, next time we look at this, 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 uh, this issue, a little boy died. And although David did 
was forgiven. His family suffered for years. God told him this in the next chapter in 2 Samuel 12 and 10. The sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. In the next few years, David would experience the heartbreak of rape, of murder, of insurrection within his own family. A disaster after disaster after disaster. David should have considered all of this before he brought this woman to his home. Because he was told in verse 3 of our chapter, isn't this Bathsheba? The daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And that should have stopped David in his tracks. This woman was somebody's daughter. This woman was somebody's wife. So he should have known that somebody was going to get hurt by his actions. Relationships and lives were going to be destroyed. Temptation always promises us so much. But no matter how innocuous our sin seems, the consequences are always serious. This is what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. So if we want to avoid that destruction and that disappointment of sin, and if we want to live out God's plan for our lives, then we need to seriously consider the consequences of our sin before we give in to it. Thirdly, we also need to communicate with others. Do you remember back a few months when David uh, thought about building the temple for God in Jerusalem? And you remember how that he'd shared his idea with Nathan, the prophet, and then he listened to what Nathan told him about what to do in that situation? Well, this time David sought no spiritual counsel. There was nobody with him who was speaking into his life in that way. Nobody who was willing or able to confront him and to help him to overcome. In fact, David spent this whole kind of episode trying to hide his actions from everybody else. He was more concerned with what other people would think of him than he was about being open and honest with trusted friends. He was like the the Pharisees who Jesus condemned because they were like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Folks, we could fall into the same trap, couldn't we? We could be here this morning and be, be right in the middle of this trying to give the appearance to everybody else that everything's fine. That we're not struggling. That we don't need help. But we are called as a community of believers to carry each other's burdens. 
And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we need to be open and authentic with others so that we can support each other in the temptations that we all face. I'm not suggesting that we should all come up the front and tell everybody else what we're we're struggling with this morning. That would be a very long service. So we're not going to do that. But we do need to have trusted friends. People that we can be really open with. And we can support each other. In a a situation where we know it's confidential, where we know we can trust them. Where we know that it's not going to go any further to anybody else. We are not designed to fight this battle alone. If you think you're the only one who's struggling with a certain temptation, can I say to you this morning, that's not true. The Bible says very clearly that our temptation is common among us all. We all struggle and we all need help. Now, of course, even if David had spoken to some of his friends, they might have agreed with his actions. Joab, for example, his commander, he cooperated with the murder of Uriah, even though we're not really sure if Uriah, uh, of Joab understood why he was doing it, but he still did it. And today, many people would have spoken to David and said, of course, well, it's, it's between consenting adults, so there's nothing wrong with it, what you're doing. But of course, that doesn't, it's not, that's not what really matters here. What matters is how God looks on those things. What is God's view on what David did? And we're told in verse 27, but the thing David did had done displeased the Lord. David had broken God's law. Which said in Exodus 20, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That was the standard that David should have measured his actions by. And we're called to measure our actions in the same way, by the standard of God's Word. It doesn't matter what the world says, or what our friends would say. The Bible reveals the standard of morality that God is asking us to live by. And so we need to confront temptations with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to take God's Word and challenge every temptation with it. Because that's what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Each time Jesus responded to Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written. Because Jesus was committed to living out God's word in his life. And like Jesus, we also need to confront our temptations with God's word. This is what Psalm 119 says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But you know, folks, None of those things are enough. None of those things what I've just mentioned are enough to help us to overcome the temptations in our lives. We don't just need God's challenge. 
or God's wisdom or God's people or even God's Word. We need something more than that. We need God Himself in our lives. I think it's a really noticeable aspect of this episode of David's life. David was an amazing man of prayer. An amazing man of praise. You know, he wrote a majority of the Psalms that we have. So he was someone who had a, a really deep, open, authentic, real relationship with God. But during this time, there's no mention of him connecting with God at all. So we can learn from this. David was an incredibly strong and godly man. And yet he failed miserably in this temptation. And so if somebody like David failed, then we can't hope to think that we can overcome temptation in our lives on our own. In our own strength. We need help with this. We need God himself. And this is what Jesus laid down his life to give us. Jesus did not go to the cross to give us a little bit of religion. Or to give us a whole list of rules to live by. Or regulations. He didn't just do it to give us a plan for life. An example, okay, now follow me and just do everything I've done. That wasn't what it was about. Instead, Jesus went to the cross to bring us to himself. Christ died for all for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And so now, if we put our trust in Jesus, if we accept what Jesus did on the cross for the, as a payment for our sins, and we accept His leadership in our lives, then we don't need to confront the giant of temptation on our own. We can experience the intimate presence of God. This is what James says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And because of Jesus, we can also experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's where the power comes from. Not from ourselves, not from just kind of pulling up our socks and trying harder, but from letting the Holy Spirit empower us to overcome these challenges. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, He's alive today. And we can depend on His interceding prayers for us. Because He's able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Because He always lives to intercede for them. 
Jesus is praying for us today. So we don't need to hide our weaknesses and our struggles with temptation. We don't need to pretend that everything is okay and we don't have any problems, thank you very much. We don't need to run with shame from God. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's not disappointed with our struggles. Hebrews 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't need to face the giant of temptation alone. Jesus understands our struggles. He knows how difficult it is. He faced the full force of Satan. And he overcame. And so he's willing to stand with us. And give us all the mercy and all the grace that we need. In this chapter, David didn't didn't connect with God. He faced that battle alone. And he failed. But we're so thankful that that's not the end of David's life. That's not the end of the story. As we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, God didn't turn his back on David. He didn't take back all of his promises. As we'll see... God says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. Even when we do fail, God is all the grace and mercy that we need. But this was a disastrous episode in David's life. So it's one that we don't want to repeat in ours. So let's learn from this. Let's be conscious of the battle so we don't get caught unprepared. Let's consider the consequences of our actions before we jump into sin. Let's communicate with others to allow them to help us. Let's confront with God's Word so that we're not deceived by this world. And ultimately, Let's connect with God. Because as a result of his death and resurrection, we don't need to fight this battle alone. We can overcome. Because Christ already has. 